From the Finley Toyota ESPN Studios, it's the Press Box Summer Edition. Yeah, old lady! Ed Grady. I'm not surprised the only women you see naked are in magazines. Tyler Bischoff. Again, this is really not my field. On ESPN Las Vegas. They're great new openings, but I've got to remember them because I didn't have the headset on. Oh, man. I, How many I, times I, are you not going to have the headset on? Well, it's a daily basis. Uh, and then I finally realized, <laughs> oh, the show's starting. you got to look at the clock. What's going on? Oh, not too much. How's your How's your new dog? How was last night? Oh, is, he, is he warming there's up a, new a little dog? more? Yes. I go away for two days and there's a new dog? Rescue dog. Yes. Aww. Rescue the dog. Um, last night, perfect. Uh, Artie kind of integrated himself, uh, running the house. Um, oh. uh, slept, through, slept through the whole night. Um, it was amazing. The first night, too much anxiety, new surroundings, didn't know what to do, didn't know us. And yesterday... Uh, totally morphed into a run the house mode, so we're excited. Very good. Thanks for fantastic. Asking. Yeah, very fantastic. Cool. I mean, bulldogs sleep the majority of the day. Yes, so yes. I'm sure. You, I'm sure there'll be a lot of sleeping, anyways. Yes. Sleep slept slept a lot of the day, but when he was up, he was a little rambunctious. Uh, Got to walk him early because of the heat. Uh, oh, it's so a nightmare. He, he gets the 6:30 a.m. walk because the feet are not good in the afternoon, as you know. Um, the wife is considering boots. Uh, I don't know how far oh. we're gonna go. We, we're we, she's. Oh. She if is, you do these, you gotta you gotta take a video because when we tried to give our French bulldog little boots for his feet, right. so they wouldn't burn, he would not about it. Would not let us he put those he on wouldn't his put them feet. On? Oh, he was he hated it. So I, good luck, good luck yeah. with putting those on his feet. That's what uh, we tried to go late or late. I was writing, but they tried to go take him late last night, and even late last night, you could tell his feet were not good on the on the uh, on the uh, road. Really? So uh, yeah. So uh, I think I think six thirty this morning she went. I think the walk's probably already done, but uh, the booties will be ordered, and then we'll see if he uh, if he responds. I didn't know that uh, yours didn't like him. That might be a that might be an issue. Yeah, uh, it might be, might be a little bit of an issue, but I'm I look forward to it. I'm glad he's already I'm glad he's already accustomed to you yeah, guys. He's accustomed. He's ready to go. The first bite. Can Sandra Douglas Morgan clean up the Raiders' problems? Man, so so much to get to here. Uh, was at the press conference with her yesterday. Um, I'll tell you what, and and I know we're going to talk about this. So the optics are what they are. Um, an organization where recently there have been reports where women said there was harassment within the building, they were not treated equally as men, all of that. So the optics of him hiring uh, the first black female ever to be president in NFL level, you know, the first thing people would say, well, of course he did, and that's optics. But then I will say this, when you do more research about her and you see the resume and everything she's done and continues to do, it's really, really impressive. So while I know the original thought about a lot of people are going to be well this is a whether you however you want to call call it in terms of the hire and why he did this um her resume stands on itself so i don't know what you think about the hire i'm going to find out now but i will say this her <laughs> resume is outstanding and on the business side of things she's not going to call plays she's going to do the business side of things there's a lot to clean up i think she does have a chance to clean it up so I, I don't know anything about Sandra Douglas Morgan. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know who she is or if she's going to be good in this role. But I'll I'll give you this take on it. 
based on her resume, she's exactly who the Raiders needed to hire. And I think there's there's two important details. One is that like she has a legitimate background, right? This isn't somebody that was just uh, in the Raiders organization in a right. different role for 10 years. And, oh, yeah, you're, of course, you're next in line. Like, she has, she was ju- what, just the chair of the Nevada Gaming Control Board. Mm-hmm. Like, that position alone gives you, I assume, gives you the level of respect that somebody's going to need in this position. Because she's coming in and presumably having to clean up quite a bit of messes that the Raiders have within their uh, business side of the organization that's going to take some level of respect. People are going to have to respect who she is. And I imagine, given what her history has been, that she'll command that based on it and that she'll have leadership experience. And then the other thing that I think is important based on sort of her background, she's not from football. And I think that was actually really important. I know when you guys at the RJ had your story on, you know, sort of the workplace issues the Raiders Mm -hmm. have had. Yeah. There was a quote in there from an anonymous source about how Mark Davis took care of the football players, how Mark Davis took care of like football players and coaches he cared a lot about. Anything they needed, did he that that was taken care of. But all the other employees, Mark Davis didn't pay as much attention to. And I think like we talked about this a lot. There's Mark Davis is a fan of the Raiders, right? He's a fan who happens to own them. There's some positive sides to that, but there's a lot of negative effects of that as well. And I think hiring a president who is not from football, who has just simply been in leadership positions of organizations or like the Nevada Gaming Control Board, I think that's important because there's not going to be a, oh, we got to worry about the football players. Like that shouldn't be what the president is worried about. She's got other things to deal with. So I think those two details were sort of exactly what the Raiders needed to go after. Now, again, I don't, she might be great. She might be terrible. I have no idea who Sandra Douglas Morgan is, but based on her resume, I think she's going, I think it's the exact type of hire that the Raiders needed to make for their president spot, given the accusations that, you know, an old boys club and they were in the stone age, like all these accusations about the Raiders just being behind the times and not, you know, really being in 2022, I think her background is exactly what this team needed. Uh, Nevada Athletic Commission. She's an attorney who dealt with billion-dollar uh, clients. She's still on Bill Foley's uh, uh, Fidelity Financial uh, Board. She served on several boards across the town, been here 40 years, grew up here. Um, I, I'm with you. I, 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 I think she's a – I think she's – for what we know about her, and we're going basically on the resume, like I said before – I read the story in 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 our paper uh, yesterday. I didn't. I'd never heard of her, um, but then you start doing some research on her, and you're like, "Wow, that's really really impressive." Everything she's done, uh, she still has to hire some pretty high level uh, positions that have left the organization um, for various reasons. So she has that on her her plate, and she, you know she said she's going to meet every employee. Um, uh, in the next several weeks and talk to them. So I, I liked her quote about, "I'm not here to shove things under the rug." Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to run from it. We're going to be very transparent. I like that quote, um, and I'm with you on her. Uh, I, for not knowing her, you, we can just go based on what she has done in her in her career. But for the business side of things, I don't know if he could have done much better. And if she can clean this up and she can, you know, get the right people hired in those positions of, of you know importance, um, I think things could be a lot better at that organization. 
if we never mention her name again, she will be doing a good job. Right, right. No, you don't. You don't talk about. Yeah, no, you're right. You don't talk about presidents. You talk about GMs and coaches. Yeah, like if we never, like if we never bring up Sandra Douglas Morgan again until she whatever. Oh, she leaves to take another job in five to ten years or whatever. If we never mention it again, she's probably doing a good job. If right. we bring it, if we talk about her like six or seven times over the next couple of years, probably not good. There's probably some bad things right. going on there. I'm okay. I am curious because the the quote she had about you know not wanting to sweep things under the rug. Mark Davis also said yesterday about um, you know taking the allegations seriously, and he said that they did an investigation into those things and to listen to the people who work in the organization. Did they investigate themselves? Like, did we have all these workplace accusations and Mark Davis say, ah, we'll investigate ourselves and that'll be fine? I mean, I think investigate is probably the wrong word. I think he probably sat down with some people and said, what's going on? And, and you know, he should know what's going on. But my guess is, and you can tell me what you think about this, owners of NFL football teams, I think, are most concerned with the football side of things. So I don't know if he is original in the fact that maybe he – you know, should have known more about the business side, should have more known what's going on inside, or that that's, like, commonplace for owners. We've seen some owners who are complete disasters, um, one in Washington and elsewhere, and we've seen other owners who seem to have uh, autonomy on everything in their organization. Um, so I, I think he is the former in terms of not kind of knowing everything that was going on, and maybe when Ventrelli came to him, I don't know how serious he took the accusations because he didn't really – have a, a sense of the pulse of what was happening on the business side of things. Um, so investigation, to answer your question, I think is a pretty strong word. I just think he probably came in and talked to some people. Now, if he wants to call that an investigation, I guess that's his prerogative. <laughs> but I think he just sat down with some people uh, in the organization and said, what's going on here? What's the veracity of these claims and these two stories in the, uh, in the RJ and the New York Times? How much is this is happening? How much is this going on? So I don't know if that's a true investigation. Yeah, probably not, would be my guess. So uh, I'm curious if we get any more details from uh, Sandra Morgan Douglas about, right. or Sandra Douglas Morgan, about the, um, if if she does any sort of like investigation into what's happening to what, and what she needs to actually clean up there. Because I mean, they've, they've paid out multiple settlements and everything else. So it's not like Mark Davis didn't know about any of this right. stuff. Like I assume, I assume when they pay, what was it? The cheerleaders got $1.25 million. I assume when there's a million dollar settlement, Mark Davis is aware of why he's paying a million dollars to former employees. So it, we'll see exactly what they did or if it just sort of gets swept under the rug at this point. Um, was Max Crosby, were there any of the players there besides Max Crosby? No, Matt, not that I saw only Max Crosby. Okay. I yeah. mean, I don't know how many players kind of, you expect to show up for it, but it, yeah, good for Max Crosby. Kind of Crosby. representing the team, I think. Um, she had met with the team earlier that she she said. Uh, Crosby had a lot of good things to say to her. I think, like most of us, Crosby probably didn't know who she was yesterday morning before finding out, but he had a lot of good things to say to her in terms of how she dealt with the team and how she addressed the team. And, you know, I think she knows her role. Her role is the business side of things. Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels will handle the football side of things. And you're exactly right. We need to hear from Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. And that it goes back to those stories um, and the reaction to them. And look, it, they're important stories. They should be written. That stuff should come to light. But at the end of the day, you and I both know the average fan cares if Derek Carr is thrown for 5,000 yards. Right. That, that, that's just the way it is. The average fan wants to know if Devontae Adams is going to be as good as everyone says he's going to be. 
So there's usually not a ton of reaction to the stories, even though I think they're important stories to write and they're important things to bring to light. Um, the average fan, you know, is more concerned about the football side of things. I was hoping, by the way, that they were going to have this press conference on the field and make the media stand up in like the third deck with well, binoculars. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if media stood up there, the, uh, us from the RJ would have been t- at top of the level. <laughs> We'd had some binoculars for that baby. You guys would have been ready to go. We got yeah, the binoculars exactly. to look at everything. It'd been like, you know, hey, Joshy, we're up here, baby. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into the NBA because apparently the Nets made a fun trade offer to the Timberwolves. If KD did indeed request a trade, is that KD saying partially I made a mistake? And I answered the question for myself, because obviously I'm not going to ask Kevin that, or why would I ask Kevin that? But I answered it for myself, and I said, possibly yes, possibly no. But regardless if it's yes or no, why does it matter? If Kevin Durant says, I, I actually don't want to be here anymore, I want to go to somewhere else, why does it matter? Why does that make you weak? Why does that make you, why does that make him, you know, it means he's running from something? I don't understand that. And the reason I don't understand it is because players are in control of their situation. Players are in control of their destiny. And so why is it that it's just not, that's the next step in his career? You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. What the hell was that? That was that was terrible. Jared, Draymond Green? I mean, I, I'm aware it was Draymond Green, but he was like, I pondered this question for my podcast and then decided it did not matter all right great content hey everyone's got to listen to the podcast that's what he said everyone listens to the podcast no one listens to other media anymore we listen we know it doesn't matter sports talk radio does not matter in the grand scheme of things you just don't say it out loud Draymond. right you yeah keep he, that to yourself he he's he, he's getting better at this except i still don't think he's hit self-awareness <laughs> yeah so all right, here's a question for you. Both Ed and I are off next week. Uh, good luck with the show, Jared. Um, but a question, will Kevin Durant be on the Nets when we get back? Um, I'm going to... I was asking Ed, not you. Oh, go ahead. oh Ed, oh, Ed gave said, me a high head. Well, like, he, he was like, all right, go ahead, said Jared. Jared. You said Jared. I was, I was just telling Jared, good luck. Oh, yeah, good luck on the show. Uh, yes, he will be. Yes, Jared, what do you think? Yes, he will be. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree, except until Friday where he won't be. So, oh, no, no, sorry. Next Friday. when you, Whenever you guys come back and you guys won't be back for a while, yeah, yeah, that's definitely. when the news will break. Yeah, yeah. Friday, a Friday at about 11.38 yes. p.m. Yes. Or a.m., excuse AM, me. A.m., a.m. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be when Kevin Durant gets traded. So there was a report yesterday that the Nets made a trade offer to the Timberwolves involving Kevin Durant. The Nets would have received in this trade offer Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and four draft picks. Didn't say if they were first or second round, but four draft picks. 
Are the Nets I mean, getting anywhere close to that? If they said no to that, two All Stars and four four picks. No, uh, no, the Nets. The Nets offered this. And no, Minnesota said no. Excuse me. Uh, t- t- uh, offering that and the Timberwolves saying no. I don't know. I don't. I mean, now I'll tell you what. Now we know the barometer of what they're looking at, right? Now we know exactly what they want: a couple All Stars and a bunch of picks. And I don't know. As good as Durant is. If you could say, hey, he's going to be four years of great Kevin Durant and there's going to be no issues and he's not going to want to trade in a year and all that and he doesn't want to jump again, maybe. But the Timberwolves probably thought, you know what, we're fine with what we have and we don't want to kind of get into that as great as he is. Yeah, I, if you're the Timberwolves, I don't think there's any way you could you could have agreed to that trade. You, I don't think you can give up your two best players to go get Kevin Durant because then you would have been pairing Kevin Durant with Rudy Gobert in that scenario, which, well, I, they're, you're not winning a title. Durant no. and Rudy Gobert is your top two. You're not winning a title. Now, if it was one of those guys, right, if it was just Carl Anthony Towns, or if it was just Anthony Edwards, and now you had Gobert as your third best with Durant and we'll just say Anthony Edwards as your number two, maybe that, that becomes a legitimate conversation. But for both of them, that's absurd at this point. And... By the way, if you're Minnesota right now, I know there's the level of like, would Kevin Durant want to play for Minnesota, whatever. Right. But like, want to they, go there. they gave up four first round picks and then the guy they just drafted in this year's draft in the first round. So effectively five first round picks for Rudy Gobert. Do you think they're kicking themselves for looking around being like, oh, we should have just waited. We could have sent those to Brooklyn and gotten Kevin Durant instead of Rudy Gobert. Maybe they are. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that might be, I think that might be, uh, a smart uh, uh, look at it. But I, I tell you what, um, now that they come back on this uh, in terms of this this kind of trade, I think they might be kicking themselves for others, but they're not going to make t- a second dumb trade. They're not going to make a second dumb thing uh, You know, in terms of this offseason. I, I can't imagine the Nets are going to get that much value for Kevin Durant. I can't imagine they're going to get two all-star level players plus that many picks for Kevin Durant. It just doesn't feel like that market exists for Kevin Durant. Even if it should, even if that is like, what? you know, fair value, I don't think they're going to get that. It doesn't appear as though there are teams lining up to give them that big of an offer for well, Kevin Durant. And do you think it's like I said, if if you could guarantee 4 years of his best and you could guarantee he's not going to be disenchanted or once again want to trade and and you know some of the things that go with Kevin Durant would you make these deals? Or do you think more people are like, well, incre- as incredible as he is, we're not sure what his attitude is going to be, especially in a town like Minnesota, like you just said. Um, I don't know if he'd want to go to the Wolves. Probably not. You know, Are there going to be a lot of teams saying, we might give this up, but what are we getting on the back end? We know he's a great player, but what what's the attitude going to be, especially if it's a town like Minnesota? Nothing right. against think- Minnesota, but I just don't think Kevin Durant, I don't think that'd be top on his list. Right. I think that plays a lot into it. The idea that, okay, sure, he's under contract for four more years, but are you actually getting four years of Kevin Knowing you're getting four years of Kevin Durant and maybe getting four years of Kevin Durant are, are two very two different, different things. things. Exactly. And like in this scenario for Minnesota, I don't know that trading away Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns for Kevin Durant, I don't know that that makes you better. I don't know that that uh, takes you from being sort of, what were they this year, the seven seed or something mm-hmm. like that? I don't know that that takes you from the five to eight range in the West to the one to two range in the West. You might still be in the five to eight range in the West after you make that trade. Well, so, you just you just said who he'd be around, right? And so, like, if you are any team out there, 
for the Nets to think that they should get two all-star level players, which there's been reports of that too, that that's what they've been asking. And then this potential trade offer they made, like any team out there that has two all-star level players, if they give two up, they're probably not going to be a better team with Kevin Durant and without those two all-stars because how many teams have three all-star level right. players? What so how many teams when the next third guy come up is gonna work with him, like you said, Gobert, and all of a sudden, well, he's not a really a two, he's a three, and now you're just sitting there with Kevin Durant and a guy who should be a three. Right. It's like I I get maybe somebody exists out there, but it feels more like the the Nets are gonna have to accept maybe one all-star and like a good role player, right? Like that's right. gonna be a right. more realistic and scenario. I mean I Right. I don't mind the picks. Right. The picks are whatever. whatever. Maybe not irrelevant not the right word. But when you're trading for Kevin Durant, you're trading yes. to win now. So who cares what your picks are for the next two or three years or something like that. So I just I can't imagine the trade offer the Nets think they should get for Kevin Durant is ever going to materialize. And it goes back to the same thing we've talked about this week. How stubborn are the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant right now? Are they going to trade him for less before the season, or are they going to basically say, you're under contract, dude. We're not trading you unless we get what we want for you, and nobody's offering it, so you better show up and play. Well, on the Minnesota side of things, it might be, it's probably going to be the latter. Um, because if they their turned down for that, um, it's probably going to be the latter, and they're going to say you're going to show up and play. And with four years in his contract, I think he shows up. Now, again, I don't. we don't know what his attitude is going to be. We don't know how positive he'd be, but I think he's going to show up with four years left on his deal. I don't think he'd sit out and force anything. Where are you going to go? You've got four years left. Yeah. Uh, Jamison Welch on the show yesterday, he said yeah. that the Utah trade for uh, Rudy Gobert, Minnesota trading for Rudy Gobert, could go down as one of the worst in NBA yes, history. in NBA history. <laughs> you think that's true? <laughs> I don't know if it's true. I think Anthony Edwards and, and Cat are good players, and if Gobert's a third third option, um, you know, he's he's obviously decent there. Four first-round picks were a lot, but again, do you believe you're in win-now mode? I, I don't put a lot of stock in draft picks. Like you said, I don't think they're irrelevant, but the way the NBA draft goes now and all these guys you get to stash elsewhere, I'm, I don't, like, over-evaluate the N- NBA draft a lot of times, so... I don't. I didn't like fall down to first four first round picks. Uh, a lot of people did, but I the worst one of the worst trades in NBA history. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I remember all the bad trades in NBA history, but I I think Rudy Gobert's a decent player, a number three option. To where I don't know if it'd be that bad. I think it depends on if you think that that, that a team should win the title after giving up effectively five first round picks. Right, because that, that, that's a lot. Like you don't trade five first round picks very often, and normally you would think, oh, you gave up five first rounders, you just made a trade to win the title. And I think that's where it comes in for for Minnesota. Nobody thinks they're going to win the title just because they added Rudy Gobert, but they gave up five first round picks. So I I think Jamison might be right if you look at it simply from a championship or not potential for Minnesota. They gave up a lot of picks, and they're probably not winning a title anytime soon. And so the issue for Minnesota becomes after this season or maybe in this season, right, when they decide, hey, we need another piece, what ammo do they have to go get that piece, right? They're going to have to sign it in free agency or something because they don't have any picks to trade anymore because they gave them all to Utah in that trade. All right, coming up next, Ben Brown joins the show. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. 
Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Ben Brown. Good morning, Ben. Hey, Ben. Good morning, guys. How are you doing today? We are good this morning. Uh, neither one of us is here the entire next week, so this is a fun Friday show for us. Um, so, we finally got a Baker Mayfield trade, but I know uh, we need to take a moment for you, someone who had a bunch of Matt Corral Rookie of the Year bets. Or, or went out for me, unfortunately. It is, you know, a little bit painful. I guess I should have expected, uh, you know, Mayfield going to Carolina was obviously uh, the most obvious destination for him, and I think um, clearly an upgrade over Sam Darnold, I would say that much. How does this change things for them in your mind about futures or odds? I mean, is he... How, how much? How many? How many wins is he worth? A couple? Because we said yesterday, it's, I don't think they're jumping up to nine or ten wins. But what are your thoughts about him going there and what he could do for them? Yeah, definitely. I do think you know we haven't seen uh, very much movement in their futures market. I do think some of it uh, is the fact that you know a move like this was kind of already baked into their numbers, so not seeing a whole lot doesn't necessarily mean that it isn't an upgrade for Carolina, right? I do think he's worth probably uh, you know two or two and a half points. Um, based on the spread more than Sam Darnold. So uh, clearly going to be an upgrade, I think, especially, you know, week one, the revenge game against Cleveland. Uh, we are seeing some line movement in their direction already. So uh, I think we have seen, um, you know, Baker Mayfield perform at a relatively high level at certain points in his career, right? I think the 2020 season, he had a top 10 PFF passing grade, uh, way better than we've seen anything from, you know, Sam Darnold's perspective. So I think it's a pretty clear upgrade for them. They obviously have some pieces around him at the skill position uh, in order for him to be successful. I think my one concern is, um, you know, him shifting from, uh, you know, an offensive scheme that, you know, we we respect a lot. Kevin Stefanski, really good play caller, really good offensive schemer, uh, really good at putting his quarterback in the best situation to make plays. Uh, that can't really be said about Matt Rule and Ben McAdoo, I would say, uh, at this stage in their career. So I think from that perspective, uh, that's going to be the concern is can uh, Matt Rule, can Ben McAdoo, actually put Baker Mayfield in the best situation in order for this team to be successful. And I think that's uh, the, the pressing question that still needs to be answered. Are you interested at all in playing that week one game between Carolina and Cleveland? I do have a little bit. Um, I do have a little bit on Carolina already. I think, um, you know, given the vast, you know, uncertainty with Cleveland, there's just no way that Sean Watson's going to be playing in that particular game. Um, so I think, you know, Carolina does make a ton of sense. Uh, I do think we're going to see the best of Baker Mayfield in week one there. Even though he hasn't had time in this particular system, I do think he is actually going to play quite well. So I would say Carolina is going to be really popular, but uh, is definitely the only correct side, I would say, in week one. Why do you think Seattle's so locked in on Drew Locke? Uh, and yeah. No pun intended. And uh, is this just a total rebuild in terms of their numbers and, and, and what you might expect from them? They, they didn't get Mayfield, and, and Pete Carroll has just beat the drum for this guy. Right, yeah, it is. It is interesting. I do think that um, it's surprising to me to see Pete Carroll, uh, you know, take on a rebuild at this stage in his coaching career. Right? I'm not sure how long he is expecting uh, to coach, but uh, it seems like they are, you know, completely interested in bottoming out this year, getting a high draft pick, and then being able to kind of select their guy on that rookie deal. And that was something that they have had, you know, success with before. Obviously, hit on Russell Wilson in the third round. I do think they're going to have to, you know use a much higher draft pick coming up in the 2023 draft. Uh, but I think that, yeah, they are, you know, essentially bottoming bottom, you know, out, looking for that number one overall pick, and then uh, going to see how the chips fall with the quarterback picks here in 2023. And, you know, that's it's an interesting idea. I do think that, you know, 
more teams to potentially gravitate toward that strategy as opposed to signing some of these bridge-type veteran quarterbacks. Um, and I think, you know, we could see it actually work out for Seattle because they do have a somewhat talented roster outside of that quarterback position, I would say. On Baker Mayfield, what do you think the chances are that he has a good enough season that he gets a substantial second contract to be a starting quarterback, either in Carolina or somewhere else in the following season? Yeah, it would have to be, I think it would have to be a really impressive, um, you know, season, probably like a top seven, top five type passing EPA uh, season from him. Maybe he can do that, uh, but I think that's, you know, probably in like a five or 10% outcome scenario, not necessarily something that we're going to see if he plays close to expectations. So uh, I think it's got to be a really good year for him in order to get kind of that uh, next contract at a high dollar amount. And it's just something that I don't think is probably going to end up happening, especially in Carolina. I've read where teams like Tennessee, Kansas City have a chance to come back and maybe they're overvalued at this point that they're going to take a step back. Are there teams out there like that that you look at numbers and say, you know what, that's just too high for them, even though people might look at the name of the team and think that else, uh, think other uh, ways? Yeah, I do think like a team like Denver uh, does need a lot of things to go right. does have essentially no continuity, especially on the offensive side of the football. So I do think they're a team that's definitely overvalued right now in the futures market, uh, looking at a team like the Philadelphia Eagles as well. Obviously, it made a lot of buzz this offseason, uh, but it does boil down to your expectation of Jalen Hurts in that particular offense. And if he can actually take a step forward, they can maybe live up to the hype, but there is a lot of downside uncertainty with the Philadelphia Eagles as well. So I think it's teams that uh, you know have, 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 have gained quite a bit in the offseason. I do think uh, there is an expectation or, or an idea that they have probably gained too much. So those are the kind of teams that I'm looking at uh, potentially fading to start this season. I know you've told us before that you've got some Eagles bets in, but how likely is it that we look back after this season and say Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts? <laughs> it, it's, it's, uh, I would say that it's actually quite possible, right? We have seen Baker Mayfield play at the level that uh, you know, Jalen Hurts hasn't touched from a passing perspective, right? So I do think that if the Eagles ask Hurts uh, to be that downfield threat, there's a lot of scenarios where uh, he doesn't he doesn't actually live up to uh, what they are expecting, and I do think in that scenario, uh, you know, we could see Baker Mayfield perform much better than him. So I think it's probably uh, maybe more likely than what the market is even pricing in right now, and I do think that it's definitely something that uh, could be a pretty interesting talking point when it's all said and done. I want to go local here for a second, just for the Raider uh, people listening or fans listening. I think the numbers four to open the Chargers. Chargers once again the sexy pick. I think a lot of people are going to pick them to win the West, which is you know arguably one of, if not the toughest, divisions coming in this year. What do you think about that number, and who do you like in terms of the top of the West? Yeah, definitely. I think you know three and a half, four. I think if you're looking at plus four for the Raiders opening, I do think that is uh, you know a pretty good spot. Obviously, the Chargers uh, kind of like we said made some offseason moves. Um, and are expecting, you know, Justin Herbert to make a significant step forward again in that offense. I think that uh, that is probably making them uh, just a little bit overvalued. I do think if you're looking around, uh, Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the NFL from my perspective. So I do think they probably have uh, the most value from a betting perspective if you want to wager something on the AFC West. That's the spot that I would be looking at. Uh, But I am probably lower than market now on both the Chargers and the Broncos. So I do think... You know, there is some wiggle room for the Raiders to be uh, better than what people are pricing them right now as well. So those are probably the two teams I'd be looking at uh, to make a wager on in the AFC West right now. 
I know it's probably bad to do this if you're betting on football or any sport, but how often does like a team like the Chargers reputation for, oh, they're really good, but never actually get it done. How often does that actually come into your mind when you're placing bets? I mean, it definitely is uh, consideration some of the end of game type chaos that can happen and seems to happen more often uh, from a Chargers perspective. It's not, you know, it's not anything that, um, you know, you can obviously take into account from a modeling perspective. Uh, but there are, you know, certain things where you look at it in a model and then you can start to see, well, uh, you know, the Chargers are three-and-a-half-point favorites uh, against the Raiders in week one, right? They've had a ton of end-game stuff. They might only win by three points or less in a lot of those situations, so that's the spot where you can potentially back the Raiders, especially if you like it from, you know, your model's perspective as well. So uh, it definitely is at least always, you know, thinking of things in the back of your mind, but I think that, um, you know, from a modeling perspective, it's really hard to kind of bake in some of those assumptions. Have you seen any line movements in week one? I'm looking at the, the Saints game that, that kind of piqued your interest. Um, I think, you know, uh, I haven't seen, um, you know, too much from a line movement perspective. I would say, you know, the Packers continue to kind of get a little bit of value right. uh, up to minus two now against the Vikings. I think anything before three there does make some sense for, for a team that, you know, has largely been, uh, you know, written off, I would say, in the NFC. I do think that, uh, you know, obviously they lost Monte Adams, but uh, defensively they are getting a lot of guys back and healthy. Jair Alexander, I do think, is a top-five cornerback in the NFL. So anything before a field goal uh, differential for the Packers in week one, even on the road against Minnesota, uh, I think makes a lot of sense from a betting perspective. So I like that one. Um, I do think, you know, it, it, it's, it's going to be really difficult to back the Falcons in any sort of matchup. Uh, I do think that, you know, the Saints are probably still going to win or uh, get second in the NFC South there. And I do think that, you know, their odds uh, of actually doing so if they do drop because of the Baker Mayfield play uh, do make a lot of sense to probably lock in something. Because I do think they are clearly still ahead of Carolina uh, in that NFC South back in order. Well, at the end of this season, what are we saying about Teddy Bridgewater? Is he a legitimate starting quarterback, or did the Browns season, was it a complete mess, and he should just be a backup forever? Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's kind of the perfect backup uh, in a lot of situations, but uh, yeah, I think, I don't know, I think ideally uh, we don't we don't hear from Teddy Bridgewater whatsoever, and I think that's probably the correct, uh, the, the correct landing spot for him, so we'll see. I do think, you know, Tua obviously has a ton of pressure on him, pressure on him in Miami. If things falter, Teddy Bridgewater can obviously step in and help a little bit, uh, get over the hump there, but uh, he's definitely going to be nothing more than a bridge quarterback in the NFL, I would say. Is there anything, any way you should do anything with the Browns until we know what's happening with the quarterback? I mean, I think the only thing you can do is uh, fade them, basically, right? I don't think there's any... um, a A lot of the things, I think, are already baked into their potential price, uh, but it seems like uh, everyone is, you know, everyone is heading towards this year-long suspension as kind of uh, the base, I would say, right now. So I think uh, not taking that into account or being more optimistic on that is definitely a losing proposition. So uh, I would take a wait-and-see approach or uh, potentially continue fading them if that's, you know, the direction that you want to go from a betting perspective. Well, he is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. So there is Ben Brown on the NFL as we are, uh, what are we, we're about two months out, right? Yeah. Two months away could, from week one. Camp starts in about uh, 12, 13 days. 
Yeah, exciting times. The NFL seeming like it's never actually gone. Uh, coming up next, we'll get into some baseball because the World Baseball Classic is coming back. First pitch, and Alvarez hits this one deep to left. It sends back Benatendi at the wall. See you later! on Alvarez puts the Astros on top with his 26th home run of the year. It's 3-2, to two, Houston. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. Jordan Alvarez guy is pretty good. Um, you know the Dodgers traded him to the Astros, right, Ed? All right, well, six up on the Padres, and uh, don't talk <laughs> about the past. Only talk about the present. Another win last night. Beat the Cubs. Uh, Jordan Alvarez got traded to the Astros for a reliever named Josh Fields. Okay. All right. Hey, you can't all be perfect. Some, sometimes you make mistakes. Do you guys understand uh, how many Jordan Alvarez highlights I pulled just <laughs> so that he could bring up that you guys <laughs> traded him? He's good. He's good. He's actually he's a legitimate MVP candidate now. Um, Ed, do you care about the World Baseball Classic? I think it's cool anytime you have different countries playing, much like an Olympic. So I can't tell you that the last time I watched a lot of it, I watched some of it. But I don't mind it. I think it's cool when you know uh, countries bring their teams in and, and you play games. I don't remember you have down here. Is it going to be fun as last time? I don't. I didn't. I've got to be honest. With you, full disclosure. I didn't watch it enough to know what was fun about it. Oh, they uh, the United States won last time. Okay. We're the reigning champs of the World Baseball Classic. Uh, Adam Jones robbed a home run at Petco off Manny Machado. It's a great moment. Um, basically, so you, so you like it? Oh, so here's the thing. Postseason baseball is phenomenal. Like from a drama standpoint, uh-huh. I agree. Baseball, with that. baseball does a great job as a sport of building drama in games that matter. The problem for baseball is there are 162 games per team throughout the summer. So, is there really that much drama in a random game in May or June or whatever like that? Not really. But postseason baseball, it's it's terrific for building drama, and I am all on board anything that resembles that and the world baseball classic does now obviously it's it's not you know teams that have been playing together for a full season it's a very short quick tournament but it is terrific in terms of drama filled baseball and the last time it was played was a lot of fun and it's it happens in like march right so it's normally there's not a lot of drama filled baseball in march but there is when there's the world baseball classic and so I'm excited for it. My only concern, the United States won it last time around. I don't know how many Americans are going to say no. Like that to me is, uh, I don't know if fear is the right word, but that to me is like the disappointing part is that we might we might have like a really good team that we simply can't put out there just because a lot of people end up saying no to playing in the World Baseball Classic because it happens in March, and that's normally when everybody's getting ready for uh, during spring training, and they don't want to ruin their season. Okay, so you 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 liked this in terms of how it came off and and what the uh, the fun part was. When was Absolutely. the when was the last time this was even played? Was it twenty nineteen? Okay, so why do you think they bring it back now? Well, if they it's, were in, if it's going- in March, and like you said, load management, and they're building up for a season. Especially pitchers, especially pitchers. Uh, why? Right. Why that, would you bring this back? Well, so the last one was 2017. Okay, so that's uh, been a while. States so won. 2023 will yeah. be the next one. They were gonna do it in 2020, 
and then COVID happened. So it was going, there was going to be another one more recently, but the pitchers is the big one. Like you'll get some good position players, but like the pitchers are the ones that are not going to be built up and ready to go. It's going to be guys that are in double a or something like that, that are probably pitching for the United States and for a lot of these countries too. But like, I'll, I'll give you this. This is a, just somebody on the internet, a potential uh, lineup for the United States if everybody said Oh, yes. no, they're giving lineups. Okay. A uh, good uh, Dodger heavy start here. Mookie Betts. Right. Trey Turner. Okay. Mike Trout. Aaron Judge. Bryce Harper. Paul Goldschmidt. Nolan Arenado. JT Realmuto. And Tim Anderson hitting ninth. It's a heck of a lineup yeah, at the top. That's, really that's, a, that's a heck of a lineup. It where did you put, where'd you put Judge? Like fifth or sixth? Judge is fourth. Yes, Aaron okay. Judge, the the and where's Harper? Leader. Harper's hitting fifth. Okay. Paul Paul Goldschmidt, who is the best hitter in the National League this year, is the number six hitter in this wow. lineup. Now, I don't know. I know Bryce Harper said in the past he wants to play for Team USA. He's got this injury now, so we'll see. He said he wants to come back this season. Yeah, too, he wants to come so. back now. Yeah. We'll see how healthy he is when that he might say no just cuz like, "Hey, I need to get good for the get right for the season." But like that's really good. Here's the projected bench of Team USA. Uh Byron Buxton, Pete Alonzo, Kyle Tucker, <laughs> uh Tommy Edmond and the Baltimore Orioles rookie catcher Adley Rutschman. Like it's ridiculous. And here would be a projected rotation which none of these guys are actually going to pitch, but just imagine this is your five-man rotation. Jacob DeGrom Corbin Burns, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Max Scherzer. Hey, none of those guys will say yes to that. Yeah, they won't. But just imagine that being your five-man rotation. Wow. Be phenomenal. Jacob DeGrom. Uh, The Mets would be like, you're not going anywhere near that thing. Uh, Here's a projected uh, Dominican Republic lineup. Uh, Leading off, Fernando Tatis, Jose Ramirez, Juan Soto, Vlad Guerrero Jr., <laughs> Rafael Devers, Wander Franco, Manny Machado, Gary Sanchez, and Julio Rodriguez. Manny Machado hitting seventh. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Come it's, on. And that's why it'd be fun. These are some ridiculous lineups that would get put out there. This is this, this is like a, a six-man fantasy baseball. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it's fantasy baseball. It it's great. And so... Again, you won't see those lineups because not everybody's going to say yes, especially on the pitching side. But I mean, it's it's possible. I don't know how many how much these people care, but like, it's possible the United States has an outfield of Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, and Mookie Betts. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous, and I hope it happens. So I'm looking forward to it. The United States, uh, they are playing in Phoenix. Is their sort of like group or whatever their pool play before the uh, actual tournament part kicks in? Uh, they're in the same group as Canada, Mexico, and I'm blanking on who the fourth team is. But they play in Phoenix. They'll play the pool play in Phoenix, and then, assuming they finish in the top two of that group, they'll be in the quarterfinals of the actual knockout round of the tournament. Was this the was this the tournament where was the final at Dodger Stadium? I thought it was at Petco. Did they play it at Dodger Stadium? Okay, I remember games at Petco. I remember. Ga- I don't know if it's the final, yeah. but I remember games at Petco. I don't. I don't, I don't I don't know exactly where the final was, but I know they played at Petco uh, a lot for the last time they played it. This time around, 
They're going to be in Phoenix. The final and everything will be in Miami. But there's also like an Asian side. So there will be games in, I think, China and South Korea. Wow. Will host games as well. So there's like one half of the brackets in China. The other half is in the United <laughs> States. And then some poor team's going to have to fly from China to Miami and play a championship game. Well, they won't have any chance against that juggernaut of the U.S. lineup you just put out yeah. there. That's right. If they all if they all show up, oh. If that pitching a, staff came wait. together, that'd be hilarious. Oh, they'd throw a no-hitter every game, wouldn't they? would be dominant. Best country in the world.